Welcome to the Pikes Peak Christian Church Sermon Podcast. I'm the next-gen pastor here at Pikes Peak Christian Church. Um, and thank you, really, that's uh, your two kinds. Um, I, I'm so excited whenever I get to come and talk to you, because um, almost every week I'm talking to your kids, either your elementary kids or early childhood or your middle schoolers or every Sunday night, um, your high schoolers right across the way in the building. And I love um, talking to those kids and students, but sometimes you just need to talk to adults, you know what I'm saying? So I'm, I'm really happy uh, to be here talking with you. And, and there's another reason I love talking to you guys, um, and that's um, because we need to be more orange. I got my orange shirt on. I'll probably wear this shirt every time I preach. Um, and Steve's supporting me here. That's awesome. So, so we need to be more orange. And now, if you're a little bit new here, you might not know what that means. So let me explain it to you. Um, Orange is this concept. It's the way that we approach ministry with our kids. We know that parents have the most influence over their kids, and and the home is represented by the color red. It's where the heart and where character is developed. But we know that the church has a significant role and that um, we're called to be the light of the world, and so the church is represented by yellow. But we also know that when the two of us combine and make orange, that we have more influence collectively than either one of us do independently. And so we want to work together. We want to partner together, work on the same things at the same time with the same strategy. And that's um, what Orange is. And that's how we transform the lives of kids. That's how we transform the neighborhoods, our communities, and ultimately the world. And so every time I get in front of you, you're going to hear about Orange. I'm, I'm just warning you now. So we're going to be Orange. Uh, and that's, that's one of the reasons I love to talk to you, um, is to get Orange out there. Now, Over the past few weeks, uh, we've been in this sermon series called Growing Up. And this sermon series is not about raising your children, although that's a good title for a sermon series. Um, And it's not about getting your uh, partner, your, um, your spouse, or the person you came with to be more mature. Although that may need to happen, that's not what this series is about. Uh, This series is about growing up spiritually. And really, there's some fancy terms that we use in theological circles, terms like transformation, and and another one might be sanctification. It's a really big word. Uh, But really, simple concept is becoming more like Christ. That's what growing up means. That's what we're talking about, growing up, being more like Jesus. And so, three weeks ago, Pastor Darren kicked off this series um, with uh, the message that he gave um, called Divine Encounters. Divine Encounters, and and in that series, he talked about coming into God's presence, entering those moments where you just come face to face with the mighty God. And we have an opportunity to do it. Some of you experienced that this morning. Just just a few minutes ago, as we were involved in worship, you met God face to face, and maybe you were transformed in that moment. Maybe God spoke to you in that moment. That's awesome. This last week, or two weeks ago, I was at camp with 16 high schoolers. I survived. <laughs> Just kidding. They were awesome. They were amazing. Um, but in that time, we saw God do amazing things. It was a divine encounter. God showed up time after time after time. And I saw these kids literally transform before my eyes, where there was one group of kids that I showed up with on Sunday afternoon, and I left with a different group of kids Friday afternoon. It was amazing. God did amazing things through those divine encounters. Um, and then... Uh, Two weeks ago, 
Uh, Pastor Darren talked to us about decisive moments, those points in life where you have a decision to make, to either go this way or to go that way, to either say yes to God or say no. And he challenged most of you, if not all of you, to take a step and to make a decision in that moment to be baptized. And some of you had never done that before. And praise the Lord, 73 of you said yes to God that weekend. It was amazing to watch God move, to watch God move, to watch your lives be transformed because of that decision. And then last week, Pastor Matt was here and he talked to us about uh, devoted service. And he called us to use the gifts that God's given us to serve the kingdom, to serve the family, as it were. And, and this really, this shouldn't surprise us. Most of us have had kids or no kids or have at least seen children at some point. And you're probably aware that children don't start out doing much chores when they're babies. When my kids were very little, their job, their service was to make me humble. That was their job. And they were very good at it. Every time we went to Walmart, they would scream and everyone would look and I would be humbled. Right? And, and every time, well, not every time, but it seemed like every time there was a diaper, once again, I'm humbled in what I'm doing, the service that I'm performing. And that was their job. My kid's job was to humble me. But they've gotten a little older now. My oldest is eight. The next one is six. And so they can do a little bit more. They have a little bit more responsibility. Grace has to feed the dog and do the dishes. And Ben has to take out the trash and clear the table. And I like those chores a lot better than the ones when they were little, let me tell you. But so we know this, right? As we grow up, our chores get more significant. Or the, the things that we have to do, our service becomes more significant. We have more responsibility. So it's no surprise that when we're growing up spiritually, we have more significant things to do. Now, specifically, Pastor Matt last week talked about a need that we have for people to come and serve, and that's our VBS, our Vacation Bible School. We're calling it our Summer Experience. Um, yesterday, we had our next-gen team out in the neighborhood handing out flyers. They invited 330 households um, who most likely are not involved with this church at all uh, to come and be a part of this. And they did that because we have this amazing goal. I'm pretty sure that Jake is trying to give me an ulcer um, when he prayed for this uh, because he wants to see, and honestly, I agree with him, we want to see 600 kids um, come to our VBS. That would be twice uh, what was here last year. 600 kids. It would be amazing to have 600 kids here. But, but here's the problem. And, and, and Pastor Matt quoted me, and he quoted me correctly, but I want to I clarify that quote from last week because he told you that in an exec meeting I had said, I would rather do an excellent VBS for 20 kids than a terrible one for hundreds. And that's true, but I think you need to understand a little bit more. See, when I say excellent, I don't mean amazing programming and amazing music and amazing acting and amazing teaching, although all of those things are important and we're striving for that. That's not what I mean by excellent. What I mean by excellent is that every kid that comes into this building needs to know that they are loved and that they are important and they are valued. And if there's five of us and 600 kids, we can't make that happen. We need a ratio of about one to six if they're really young and about one to 12 if they're fifth or sixth graders. And so somewhere in the middle for those kids that are in between there. And so to make sure that every kid has an experience with God that makes them want to come back and experience God again, I need a lot of you, about 120 of you, to come out and volunteer to just hang out with some kids. And so if you want to see kids come to know Jesus, if you want to be Jesus, for a kid who's never seen him before, you can sign up to be a part of our VBS at 
uh, yestogod.org slash VBS. There's a form right there. You click on the link to register um, as a volunteer. You can also register your kids to attend our VBS from that same site. Again, that's yestogod.org slash VBS. Now, some of you remember, and, and you're about to quote to me, Pastor Matt's sermon, where he said, yes, but we're supposed to serve in our gifting. And Pastor Sam, let me tell you, I'm not gifted to serve with children. And if that's you, let me talk to you right now. If you're saying that, just the fact that you're saying that, I agree with you. Don't come serve with my kids, please. If, if you're saying that you're not gifted to serve with kids, then that's okay. I, I, honestly, I don't want you to come because there's no way to have a, make a kid have a horrible experience There's no better way to do that than to put them with someone who doesn't want to be with kids. And so if that's you, there's still ways that you can help. Um, We still need some help um, with setting some stuff up and tearing some stuff down uh, during the day. And then on Saturday following our VBS, we have to clean up this whole building and get it ready for Sunday. And so if that's you, come talk to me. Um, We also have a lot of needs. As you can imagine, if we have 600 kids here, it takes a lot of glue sticks and a lot of glitter to make all those crafts. And so um, if you would like to help us by donating some of those supplies, we have our needs board right out here, uh, just on the other side of the Connection Center in the foyer. You can stop by there, take a little card, and then sign uh, the checklist, uh, the number that you took so we know who took what, um, and then bring that stuff back over the next couple of weeks. That would help us out tremendously uh, so that these kids can have an amazing experience. But enough about service, because today's message is not on service, and I will try my best not to talk about it anymore but no promises. Today, well, before we start, I I just, I feel like I need to give you a disclaimer. I I just, I need to set the tone a little bit, because the last three weeks have been pretty amazing, right? I mean, we saw this amazing uh, message on worship and how we can come into God's presence, and then 73 people got baptized in response, and then Matt called you all to go serve, and I know that you all are are getting plugged in somewhere so that you could be a part of what God's doing, and we had some great responses over the last three weeks, and after all that, today's going to be a little anticlimactic. Because today we're talking about something that's just, it's not, it's not very glamorous. You know, it, it's, it's kind of, well, we're talking about daily habits. And, and daily habits, the things that you do every day, you know, like take a shower and brush your teeth and get dressed. You know, those, those things that you have to do just to maintain. And I don't know about you, but I've never had a life-changing experience while brushing my teeth. Maybe you have, I, I don't know, but, but it's important. And, and all of you who come talk to me afterwards are going to agree that it's important that that's a daily habit. In fact, I'm glad that most of you have that daily habit as I talk to you on Sunday mornings. They're important, but they're just, they're not very glamorous. So, so there's your warning, there's your disclaimer. Um, we're going to be talking about these daily habits, but there's not going to be a huge response, at least not here in this building, so be ready for that. But that's how daily habits work, isn't it? I mean, think about it. You don't all of a sudden decide one day, I'm going to go to the gym and get in shape, and boom, you're in shape. Right? It doesn't work that way. You have to commit to it over time. And it's the the long process, the committed, slow trudge through the treadmill for months on end that produces that result. And that's how daily habits work. But here's the thing, these other things that we've been talking about, decisive moments and and divine encounters, those things can catapult our faith walk, they can catapult our spiritual life forward in dramatic ways. But what tends to happen is we get catapulted forward and we have no way to maintain that position. 
Let me give you a picture of how this kind of works. Imagine there's a stream. Now, I like to hike in Colorado, and I've hiked past many streams, and I count it fortunate when I find a stream that has little trout in it, even if I can't fish them. I still like to watch them. They're, they're amazing to watch because they'll find a spot where the current is just right and they'll move just a little bit, just enough to maintain that position. And they might decide to go after something and they'll shoot forward and, and grab a bug or whatever and they maintain a new position. They'll move up and down the stream. But they're constantly fighting against this current that is pushing them downstream where they don't want to go. They're constantly fighting against it. And that's kind of like us. I know that's how it is for me in the gym, Right? I'll get really motivated, and I think, okay, this year, this is the year. I've said that every year for like 12 years, just so you know. This is the year. This is it, though. I am going to get in shape this year. I'm going to join the Y. It's going to be awesome, and I'll go for like three days, and then I'm like, I hate this, right? I hate doing this. And so I'll get, I'll get motivated, and maybe I'll have an experience that catapults me forward, but then all of a sudden I get caught in that stream that says, I don't want to do this. And I stopped fighting against it, and pretty soon I've gained the weight back, and I've fallen back into my eating habits, because I'm not fighting against that stream. And Paul says this is what's happening in our spiritual lives as well, that there's a stream that pulls us towards um, a spiritual decay, and we're fighting against that stream constantly. In Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 21, he says this, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner to the law of sin at work within me. See, Paul is describing this battle that's taking place. He wants to be like Christ. He wants to move forward, but he's constantly fighting against this stream that is pulling him back towards his former life, that's pulling him back towards spiritual decay. And we're in the same stream. Because... We were born into sin as well. There's no way for us to get out of it. The Apostle Paul, in the book of Romans, tells us um, how this all took place, how this works. In Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 12, he says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. He's talking about Adam. Adam is the one man. And through Adam and his actions, sin entered the world. And we're all heirs of Adam. And we've inherited this sin gene. And we are by nature sinful. And so our natural state is to become more sinful to decay. And so we've got to fight against that. And praise be to God, we have a safety net. Right? Jesus Christ, we talked about it this morning, as we talked about communion, as we were in worship, we talked about how Jesus came and saved us from the ultimate penalty of that sin, right? The ultimate punishment for that sin is death and separation from God. But Jesus came, lived a perfect life, took that penalty on himself at the cross, was killed, buried, rose again, and now sits at the right hand and mediates for us because he took our payment for us. That's the good news. That's the gospel in a nutshell, and, and we call that salvation. And salvation is an amazing thing. It sets us free. We don't have to sin anymore. We don't have to live that life anymore. Salvation is a wonderful, wonderful part of this process. But sometimes we get confused about salvation. And we start to think that that's the goal. But here's what I got to tell you. Salvation isn't the end goal. It's actually the beginning of the process. 
Yes, God wants you to come to know him. Yes, God wants to set you free from your sin. Yes, God wants to save you from being separated from him and from death and to be with him for eternity in heaven. God wants all of that for you, but that is where the journey starts, not where the journey ends. Here's what Paul says in the book of Ephesians. In chapter 2, starting in verse 10, he says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We were made... To do good works. We were made to look like Christ. That was the point. That was the plan from the beginning. All the way back in Genesis. The the three entities of God. the God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son got together and said, Let us make man in our image. We were meant to look like God from the beginning. And sin messed all of that up. And so we're in this stream now fighting against it. And Paul goes on in that same book, Ephesians, a couple chapters over in uh, chapter 4, verse 22. He's talking to the church in Ephesus here, and he says, You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. See, the goal is not simply that we would escape hell. The goal is not simply that we would meet God and get saved from eternal damnation. The point is that we would become like the one who overcame hell for us. In fact, it's an expectation. Paul says, you were taught to do this, to put on the new self. But how, how do we do that? How do we become new? How do we become someone else, someone maybe better? How do we become this thing? Well, as I was thinking about this, I thought, how do we become like anybody? And I was reminded um, by my wife um, of how much I changed. I'd forgotten all this. Aren't, Aren't spouses great for that? I was reminded by my wife how much I changed um, when I left for basic training. For those of you who don't know, I was in the Air Force for 10 years. Uh, I joined when I was 19. We were living in Wichita, Kansas. I wasn't married yet, but I, I knew my wife. There's a whole backstory there I'll tell you about it later. It's a long story. Anyway, so my wife knew me pretty well uh, before I left, and I went to basic training. I was gone for about eight months uh, to do my basic training and my tech school, and I came back to Wichita, and I was a completely different person. Uh, prior to going into the Air Force, I had never been drunk, not once ever in my life. See, you can do it. High school, they're all sitting right down here, my high schoolers. See, you can do it. You don't have to get drunk in high school. I didn't, right? All right, so um, now that I got that out. So, I, and I never drank, and, and I smoked a little bit, but not a lot, and I came back um, an alcoholic and a chain smoker and cursing like a sailor. I mean, there's a reason that phrase comes from the Navy, right? Because that's what happens. You go to the military, and you learn a whole new language, and every other word is an explicitive, right? That, that's just the way it works, You're around these people for all this time, stuck with them, and you become like them. And that's what happened to me. I became like them. Now, God didn't leave me there, praise the Lord. Um, And there's maybe a better example in my wife, as we've been married uh, 10 years now. And so we have started to become like one another. And it's pretty funny to watch, just to look back and think about it, because we started to use the same words. Words that you have no idea what they mean, like quali bali malis. Right? You're like, what did he say? It's this crazy word that my family came up with years ago to describe any illness that we don't know what it is. And it was so funny, um, just a few months ago, I, I was 
um, just at home, and I realized my, my, my daughter Grace was not feeling well, and I think she was faking it because it was still in the school year. She didn't want to go to school. And um, so my wife goes, you must have quali bali malis. And I realized that she had become like me, as scary as that is. Uh, because she picked up the language. She started to talk like me, and she has gestures like I do, and we have the same idiosyncrasies as happens, right? You guys that are married, you can agree with me. You know that this happens, sometimes for good, sometimes not so much, but you become like one another. And it happens with our kids. And I didn't realize how subtly it happens until one day uh, my son Wesley, two years old, comes uh, to the church, and, and for whatever reason, this is a couple months ago, um, and he wouldn't say yes or yeah, he would say yeah, yeah. And I thought it was cute, and I thought, oh, isn't that cute? He says, yeah, yeah, that's so, you know, whatever. He's two, it's cute. Um, so I, I told my so-called friends at church about it, and they responded by pointing out that, well, yeah, he says it, you say it all the time. No, I don't. Sure enough. About, I counted the rest of that day, it was like 15 times in that day alone. I realized that my son was becoming like me. He was picking up my language. He was becoming just like me. And then it happened the other way. We have a coworker, one of my coworkers, I won't tell you who he is. Um, and he, uh, he picked up this phrase somewhere, I don't know, but he will um, say, no, no, um, in language. Some of you know who he is already, just by that. And, and what I realized is I went home um, a couple weeks ago and I said this to my wife, no, no. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm becoming like my coworkers. But it happens, right? We're around these people, we spend time with them, and all of a sudden we become like them. We're becoming transformed to be like them. Well, it stands to reason that if spending time with people will make us like those people, that spending time with God will make us like God. Right? I mean, it's just logic. So, but that begs another question. How do we spend time with God? Like, I mean, we know he's here, But how do I have a conversation with him? How do I get to know him? How do I know his heart? How do I know what he's thinking? What he would say in a particular situation? It's it's difficult to start. So how do I do that? Well, there's two ways. Scripture and prayer. Scripture and prayer. These these two things. If we immerse ourselves in these two things, we get to know Christ. In John chapter 1, the apostle John in his gospel refers to Jesus as Logos, the word. Jesus is the word. He was there in the beginning when the world was created, and he was there when every word of the scripture was inspired to be written. He, he is the word of God. Your Bible that you're holding now, or the Bible that you have on your phone, or that's in the cloud somewhere, right? That's Jesus. He is the word. And so we get to know him by spending time in the word, by spending time with him, reading his word. Now, I, I've, I've had some pushback from this, um, as I've told people about this before, they say, well, I just, I can't, I can't get into it. I can't read it because when I read it, I just fall asleep. Or I can't pray because I just, I start praying and I fall asleep. And, and I just, I can't get into a habit. I, it's boring to me, whatever. Okay, here's the thing, right? You might not like it at first. I don't like going to the gym either. You know what I'm saying? And, and I've known people that hated going to the gym, absolutely hated it, but for one reason or another, they were forced to do it over a period of time, and now they're gym rats. 
I can't get them out of there, right? They've become addicted to it because what they found is that it's beneficial to them and they gain something from it. They gain energy and nourishment and a benefit from it. And yes, it's not fun at the beginning, but once you get rooted into it, once it becomes a habit, it provides life. It brings life. I I love the way the psalmist writes in Psalm chapter 1. The way he describes how much he loves the word. He says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Everything they do prospers. He's describing this person who is immersed in God's word and they're like a tree, rooted firmly, steadfast, not being swayed, not being moved and near a stream, bringing in that nourishment, just soaking it in, just being immersed in it and everything they do prospers. Now again, we're not talking about, when we say everything they do prospers, I I don't mean that your business is going to be successful. I, I don't mean that you're going to be rich, that you're going to have a better house or a better car. That's not what I'm saying. But when you are immersed in God's word, you go after the things that God wants for you. You pursue him. And as you pursue him, he blesses that pursuit. Okay? And there's another blessing that comes from being immersed in God's word, from being like Christ, from being transformed. In John 10, 10, John records Jesus saying, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, have it more abundantly. And again, Jesus isn't talking about giving you a new car. Okay, I want a new Corvette too, but that's not what we're talking about. He's talking about the satisfaction of knowing that every step is guarded by the one who owns life. He's talking about the joy that comes from knowing that Jesus is Savior, that he is Lord of all, the hope that comes from knowing no matter what happens in this life, there is joy in the next. He's talking about the peace that comes from knowing Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's what he's talking about. And when you get rooted in the word, you come to know that peace. And I know this because it happened to me personally. I had a hard time getting started for years and years and years. I had a hard time. I would start a Bible study and I'd go for a week or two, maybe three, and then I'd fall off. And I had accountability groups and I had people I was supposed to be leading and all this stuff and none of it really worked. And then one day, God said, I want you to blog. You might not even know what that means. It means weblog. That's short for weblog. That's what it is. And I said, well, what do you want me to write about, God? He said, whatever I show you. Oh, Okay, so for um, over a year, every day for a year, um, I did a Bible study. Well, five days a week, I'm sorry, Let me, I don't want to mislead you. Five days a week, Monday through Friday, um, I committed to doing uh, my own personal study. Sometimes it would be a chapter, sometimes it would be a few verses, and every day I would write what God showed me and post it for the whole world to see. And pretty soon, there were a couple of people following my blog, which meant, man, I have to get this out because they're going to know if I don't do it. Right, right? It's easy to lie about a week, right? When you go into your accountability partner, and I know because I've done this, right? You go in and you're like, man, I didn't read it all. Well, that probably counts as like twice, right? I mean, I looked at my Bible. That counts as one or two times, right? And so all of a sudden, when you're with your accountability partner, I didn't read it all turns into, yeah, I didn't read as much as I should, right? That's what happens. But when I was posting every day, I had that accountability. There was no lying about it. It was either I did it or I didn't do it. And you know who the worst person about it was? My wife. God bless her. She made sure that I was on there every day, that I got it done, and she read it every day, and she went with me on this journey. It was amazing. And God changed me in that year. 
He transformed me. I became more like him in that year. And it's a powerful, powerful thing. Now, what about prayer? Here's the thing that I find amazing about prayer. I mean, just, just stop and think about this for a minute. The creator of everything, the entire universe, this planet, all the other planets, all the stars, everything we don't even know about yet, the creator of everything wants you to talk to him. And he says so in his word. He says, come to me. Tell me about it. I want to know. That's crazy. Why wouldn't we take advantage of that? My favorite example of somebody who prays is um, David. In fact, the last time I was up here, I talked about David. I just realized that. Anyway, um, I love David, and I love reading uh, the Psalms that David wrote. And you can, you can read a lot of David's prayers in the book of Psalms. And David writes these prayers, and it's, it's amazing. Uh, one that I wrote down here, Psalm uh, chapter 13. We don't have time to read it this morning, but read that on your own. But I love how he starts. He says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? He starts out angry with God. He's mad. He is not happy. You know how he ends? I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Prayer changes your attitude. It doesn't always change the situation, although it can. But prayer changes your attitude. Because when you give it over to God, he can deal with it. He can reshape you. He can refocus you just like a good friend. It's like a good spouse. And he will shape you and direct you and mold you in that moment. So give it to God. Be angry with him. He wants you to tell him that you're angry. He wants you to be mad about the cancer. I'm telling you, he wants you to be mad about your financial situation, but he wants you to be mad with him so he can walk you through it. So tell him about it and let him change you through prayer. Well, hopefully, I've convinced you just a little bit that these things are important. And that these are the things that help us to keep moving forward. They're not the catapults. They're not the big jumps and leaps forward in this stream. But these are the things that daily keep us walking forward. Keep us moving against that current to be more like Christ. And if I've convinced you, then you're thinking, okay, how do I get started? That's a great question. Let me tell you. There's some great resources out there. Um, some of you right now are on YouVersion Live uh, following our sermon, and that's great. And by the way, um, if there's ever a problem with that, um, you can email me and I will try and fix it. I'm the one who does that, so if it's broken, you can y- come yell at me. If you'd like to help me, though, that would be even better, so you can come talk to me about that, too. Okay, so YouVersion um, is a great tool. They have all kinds of different versions out there that you can read. And if you go to this website, bible.com slash readingplans, YouVersion has put together some amazing reading plans. They'll email them to you every day. There'll be reminders sent to you to get on there. There are some that are uh, three-day plans. There are 365-day plans. And these are written by some amazing pastors and preachers around the country. Really, the content is amazing, and it's free. Any topic you can think of, they probably have. Any passage you want to study, they probably have a study for it. So check that out. It's a great resource uh, to get into the Word. Now, another great way to start is to just pick something. Just pick up your Bible Open it to the beginning of a chapter and start reading. Okay? Just start reading. A great place to start is at the beginning. (laughs) Genesis. See what God did thousands of years ago. Read about the stories. Read about these patriarchs, these heroes of our faith, about who Abraham was. Find out. It's it's amazing. It's incredibly interesting, actually. You can start in the beginning. Another great place to start is in Luke. The book of Luke is a great place to start because Luke wrote his gospel, his story of the good news, to Gentiles. That's non-Jewish folk, which most of us are. 
And so it's a great place to start because we don't need to know any of the background really to get most of what Luke is saying. So it's a great place to start. And you can follow up with Luke's sequel, which is called Acts, and you can read about the entire church, how it got started from Jesus all the way through most of the church in the first century. So that's a great place to start is to go to Luke and follow it up with Acts. But one thing you need to do if you're going to read is make sure that you have some way to apply this. Because transformation doesn't come by just reading. It comes by actually doing what the word says. And so here's a couple of tools. The first one is BITE. There's an acronym, B-I-T-E. And this is Darren's acronym. Uh, This is what he uses on a daily basis. Um, I used this for a year, um, although I'm shifting away from it this year. I'll talk about that in just a second. Um, But the acronym BITE um, stands for BIBLE. So just write down what you're reading. Then the I there stands for insights. What is it saying? In general terms, what is this passage saying? The T is for takeaway. What is it saying to me specifically? And then the E is express. What am I going to do with what I just heard? Because that's the key, right? That express. What am I going to do with this? How is this going to change me? What actions do I need to take? So if you don't like that one, if you find that a little too complicated, there's another one. Excuse me. Uh, and the acronym for that one is SOAP, S-O-A-P. It's very similar. Uh, the S stands for scripture. What are you reading? The O is for observations. What do I see in this passage? The A, again, this is the key, is application. How does this apply to my life? What am I doing with this? What am I taking from this? And then we end with prayer, and that's what the P stands for. And these are good tools if you like a lot of structure. They can really help you if you need that structure to kind of think through the passage. Um, they're really good for that. But... I work with high schoolers. They don't really like structure very much. I don't know if you know that or not. Most of them are not structured people. They kind of like to go with whatever. And so we did something at camp uh, that proved to be incredibly valuable. Um, The leader of of our camp there got up and said, here's what I want you to do. Just write down one thing. Just one thing. It's very simple. It's very easy. Make sure it's an application point. But what's the one thing that I need to take from this? What's the one thing that I need to do with this? What's the one thing that God's saying to me? And if that's all you do, if you read and write down one thing every day, it'll change your life, I promise. It'll be amazing. Now, Darren wanted me to tell you about this as well. Um, uh, my, uh, my, I've been taking, I took about a month off from writing my blog. Um, you can find that at samuelsilvius.com. Um, really, it's not that good, so you don't have to go out there. Um, you can if you want to. But um, uh, really, um, there's so much better stuff out there on like version Live and stuff. I sometimes wonder why I'm even doing it. Um, but God hasn't told me to stop yet, so there you go. Um, but you can find that, samuelsilvius.com. Um, and uh, over the last month, I've been really praying and seeking God uh, for this direction. What do you want me to do with it? And so I've, I've kind of revamped it a little bit. Um, that's why we've been off. Those of you who do follow it, that's why I haven't posted. Um, but where God is, is showing me, what he's showing me is that um, I have some problem areas in my life that he wants to address. And what was happening is we were jumping from chapter to chapter to chapter. We would jump from problem area to problem area to problem area. And we had a new focus every single day. And we couldn't really get focused on anything. And so as I prayed through this, what God was leading me to do is to basically, whatever is being preached on is what we're going to talk about for that week. And so um, whatever you hear here on Sunday morning, we're going to talk about on the blog for the rest of the week. We'll have follow-up passages, different application points. um, And really, one of the things I hope to do is to make that orange so that you can have some tools and strategies to kind of take that message home and apply it to your kids and your grandkids and your nieces and nephews. 
So those are some really great tools. There's lots more out there. If you just search for Bible study on Google, you can probably find a hundred more. There's some great tools out there. Um, and so I feel like I've kind of shown you three different gems. Pick one, right? I, I mean, you can study and go to the best gym in town, but if you don't go, it, it don't matter. So pick a gym and start going. Uh, the Gideons are doing some amazing work and taking the word of God into places where um, really it has been practically banished and has um, almost been non-existent. And so uh, we know that the word of God is powerful um, to break down strongholds. And so it's a great work that they're doing. Um, but God doesn't want to just break down walls in China or overseas. He wants to break down walls in your heart and he wants to use his word to do it. Would you guys stand with me? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you that your word is stronger, that your word breaks down walls, that your word does amazing and powerful things to transform our lives and the lives of people around the world. Lord, I pray for the mission of the Gideons, that you would get Bibles into places where they've never been before, that you would get your word into places where it is dark, extremely dark, and that it would be a light there, and that you would shine your light through your word as you have in this country. Father, I pray for these people who are sitting here. Lord, put a burden on their heart to know you. Put a burden on their heart to get into your word, to understand who you are, this letter that you've written to us, for us. Father, I pray that they would not leave here without your spirit touching them and saying, come and seek me, come and find me, find the rest, find the nourishment, find the root um, in your word. So Lord, I ask all these things in the name of Jesus, amen. You are dismissed. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to today's message. Be sure to join us again next time.